Hello, podcasters. Welcome back to Mr. Stroud's History Class. I'm going to begin this podcast by doing several things that I said to myself that I would never, ever do. Now, we've all heard, never say never. And we've heard the best laid plans of mice and men, but I'm going to add a little addition to that. The best laid plans of mice and men, sometimes we just got to bend. And like a boomerang, it comes right back to you, and you got to start all over again. Now, what in the world am I talking about? Well, stay tuned, and you will see. Every Sunday afternoon, for about three years, I've been going to Longview and enjoying a great meal at Jack's Natural Food. They not only serve great meals, they sell products. They're all natural products. They're organic. And that's where I got to know three wonderful individuals. Going in alphabetical order, and I do know the alphabet, I will begin with Abby. Abby graduated from Kilgore College with a higher GPA than I ever had. And this young lady knows everything about organic products and food, everything natural. If it's Abby approved, it's good to go. It's top shelf. It's the one you want to get. She's a wonderful individual, and I am so glad that I've gotten to know Abby. Now, to keep the paparazzi away from Abby, when I brag about her, which I quite often do, I simply refer to her as Abigail. But if you go to Jack's Natural Food and you want something, and Abby is there, if it's Abby approved, it's top shelf, it's the way to go. And thank you so much, Abby, for putting up with me. The next young lady is Ashton. Now, when I brag on Ashton, which I do very often to keep the paparazzi away from her, I just refer to her as Ash or Little Bitch. Ashton is some individual that is just fascinating. To begin with, she knows fish. She knows aquariums. She wrote a wonderful paper for me about if you want to get an aquarium, which one should you get, what water temperature, which fish to get, which ones to put in there, which fish would kill the other fish, should you decorate it, if you decorate it, what do you decorate it with? And that's just the beginning of Ashton. She knows flowers. She knows animals. She knows more things about more things than I will ever know. And she's getting ready to get a degree from Texas State Technical College. And her major is not fish or animals or flowers. Her major and her degree will be in industrial systems. Now, I didn't tell Ash this, but I didn't have a clue what that was. And so I went to Texas State Industrial Technical College. Excuse me, I misspoke there. Texas State Technical College, and I looked at that degree, and this is what it is. This is just the beginning. It is defined as the jack of all trades in electrical and mechanical applications, and she will be the master of them all. And listen to this, podcasters. Every now and then, she'll tell me she had a test, and I ask, how'd you do? 
and she always says, I made an A, highest grade. She's the only female in class, and she has the highest grades. She is smart. Abby is smart. They know stuff. Now, the last one that I'm going to shout out to that's never attended class is Caleb. Now, Caleb, when I brag about him, which I often do, just like the other two, to keep the paparazzi away from Caleb, I always refer to him as Jay. Jay is an artist. Pen and ink. Pen and ink. Notice, pen and ink. If you just do pen, you've got nothing but scratches. You've got to have that ink down there. He does pencil, and he works with clay. He's used his smartphone to show me photographs of some of his work. Now, podcasters, I don't have a smartphone. I went to get one, and that gentleman looked at me and said, I don't think you're smart enough for a smartphone. I said, wait a minute, I'm a teacher. He said, now I know you're not. So he gave me a little five-question test. When he looked at the answers, the first one was, which part of the Compromise of 1850 was the Fugitive Slave Act? He didn't go any further. He said, you have qualified for the smart Alex phone. So he sold me a smart Alex phone. I want to tell you, Caleb is an artist. And the art world was going to hear from him. And he is smart. Ashton is smart. And Abby is smart. And Jack's Natural Food is the way to go when you have an afternoon that you'd like to have a nice meal or buy some great products. Now, why did I shout out these three individuals? Stay tuned. Now, I'm going to do something else. This is 1864. Lincoln's Widows and Orphans. But I want you to appreciate what Lincoln is going to do when I get to it. Podcasters, how many times have I said learning, I-N-G? And it most of the time comes from reading, I-N-G. Back before I left Kilgore College, the vice president came to my office. It was almost time for the fall semester to end and there would be graduation. And he did not ask me, he told me, Mr. Stroud, you're going to give the address at graduation and I'm going to tell you what you're going to talk about. I'm going to not only tell you what you're going to talk about, I'm going to tell you what the title of your talk is going to be. And that is the joy of learning. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Podcasters, I was in the Marine Corps, you know that. And the vice president of Kilgore College was sort of like the colonel coming to me when I was a private. Their wish is my command. Oh, I tried to get out of it, but he would not take no for an answer. And so I did it. Podcasters, there is a joy in learning. And I know you know it too. You will not be listening to this podcast. Putting up my little accent. Accent? Do I have an accent? 
I wasn't going to tell you this, but how am I going to tell you something I'm not going to tell you if I don't tell you what it is? Because then you say, what is it you're not going to tell us? I was eating at the cafe the other day in Kilgore, the Circle Cafe, and a friend came by and sat down. We talked at Kilgore College for years. He said, I've listened to one of your podcasts. I enjoyed it. Thank you. It was one on the Comanche. And then he asked me a question I'd never been asked in my life. Now, wait a minute. If I've never been asked this question, do I have to say my entire life? Isn't that understood? A question I've never been asked. He said, were you born in Alabama? What? Alabama. You sound like from, from Alabama. That accent. Just then, a gentleman was walking by our table. Had on a beautiful cowboy hat, white cowboy shirt, big, beautiful silver buckle. And in the middle of that buckle was a bull rider, riding a bull. Said something about championship. I said, sir, excuse me, are you from around here? Oh, yes, I am, he said. I said, do I have an accent? He said, no, you don't. You sound just like us. I looked back at my friends and said, no, I got nothing against Alabama, but I was not born there. So I appreciate you if you think I have an accent by putting up with me. Now, what is it that I'm going to do that I've not done before now that you found out what I've been asked that I've never been asked before? I want you to appreciate what I'm going to tell you about Lincoln's widows and orphans because of all the books that I have read on Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. What I'm going to tell you about Lincoln's widows and orphans, I've only read in one book. One book. And to use a common phrase, it blew my mind. And I said, I got to do a podcast on that one. Now, so you appreciate what Lincoln is going to do. Now, I've said this on podcast, and I said this when I was teaching, and I was looking at those wonderful students. I don't know what you know about this. Many of you may know more about what I'm talking about than I do. And one of the reasons I, I wanted to brag on Abby and Ashton and Caleb because I know those three people, each one of them, know many more things than I will ever know. But I bet you you do not know what I'm going to tell you when I get to Lincoln's Widows and Orphans. Now, why would I do that? Why would I bet that? There's a lot of you out there. You know why? Because I never knew it. And yes, me, 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 the boy that that man thought I was from Alabama. And hate to say, all right, here we go, here we go, okay, here we go. Valerie's line, Valerie's line. It's the last time I'm going to explain what Valerie's line is, okay? From now on in every podcast, that line is there. Valerie is another young lady that works at Jack's. Now, she's never listened to a podcast. See, listen to this. Here's four people getting shouted out, none of which has ever listened to a podcast, which you are doing. 
but she appreciates history, and she's a friend. And so I asked Valerie one time, I said, Valerie, I've gotten some pretty good compliments on my podcast, which I still can't believe, but I do have them. If I show them to you, am I bragging? And I could tell by her face that she's actually contemplating the answer to that. And this is what she said. Now again, this is the last time I'm going to explain Valerie's line. She said, okay, here's the deal. One or two, that's fine. But three or more, you've crossed the line. What line is that? Valerie's line. I'm bragging. I'm bragging. But then I'm going to add something to that. I'm going to add Ashton's Amendment. Why Ashton? Because ask Ashton. I said, Ashton, if I tell you that I got my come up and said, you know what I've just said? She said, yes, I do. Absolutely. That's why it's Ashton Amendment. Because I get my comeuppance every now and then. Now, if you're not familiar with comeuppance, that's another phrase of eating crow. Where I said some things, or I believed some things, and I found out later on that I was wrong about it. That's getting your comeuppance in East Texas. And you're going to hear some comeuppance. That would be the Ashton Amendment. Now, just like pass interference, these are subjective. It's up to you. I'm not going to tell you. When I tell you something that I'm proud of, if I'm bragging, you put that down. You put down a one, you put down a two, you put down a check mark, whatever you do on one side of Valerie's line. Then when you hear me bragging, bragging, if that's the call, you do it. And a third one, you put it on the other side. I've crossed the line, okay? But when I tell you I got my comeuppance, that's like offsetting penalties. You erase one. You erase it. You mark it out. Now we're back to the other side. So we've got Valerie's line, and we've got Ashton's Amendment. Now, having said all that, here's something. I had taught for 43 years. Valerie's line, Valerie's line, Valerie's line. See how this is done? This is called podcast participation. Or is it podcaster participation? That's up to you. Podcast participation. Is that bragging that I taught for 43 years? I'm going to add two more. 45 years. Two years with drill instructor Paris out in South Carolina. If you don't know what that is, you get the movie Full Metal Jacket. 43 years, stood there in front of those students, should I say wonderful students, 7th grade scholars, 8th grade scholars, then freshmen, fantastic freshmen, and sophisticated sophomores. And the first day, what do you do the first day? Why do we need to know history? You can do student participation and put the hand up. You know what they're going to say. If you don't know it, it's going to be repeated. Remember, I got the smart attic phone. 
I said, well, it's going to repeat itself. You don't need to know it. Just stand on the corner. It's going to come back around just like a Christmas parade in Overton, Texas. As a Pulitzer Prize historian says, it does not repeat itself, but it often rhymes. That's John Meacham that said that. Then eventually I just stopped doing it. And I just got down to nitty-gritty. I will look at those wonderful students after I mispronounce. No, did I mispronounce? No, no, no. Every name I ever called was pronounced correctly in East Texan. And then I would say to them, how many of you are history majors? Raise your hand. Out of 30 students, how many hands do you think went up? You're right. History minors, how many hands? History buffs, one or two. So then I'd look at them and say, then why are you taking this class? And they would giggle. I know why you're taking this class, I said, because you have to. Because people you don't know making you take this class. I'm going to tell you something. Now I know what I would have said. And I got it from John Meacham, Pulitzer Prize historian. One of his most recent books, The Soul of America, Searching for Our Better Angels. Oh my goodness gracious. How many times have you heard that quote, Better Angels Searching for... That comes from Lincoln's first inauguration. That man has been quoted so many times. But this is what John Meacham said about history. Listen to this. Write it down in your mind. If you don't have something, write it down on a piece of paper. And this is not a podcast secret. This is to be shared with family, friends, and yes, even strangers. I'm going to warn you, you can share things with your family longer than you can with friends. You can share things with friends a lot longer than you can a stranger. I don't care what you're telling a stranger, you keep talking more than about 15 seconds, he's pulling out that smartphone and he's got three numbers he's going to call on you. So if you share it with a stranger, you got to get it done. You got to, I don't care if you give him six numbers to win the lottery. This is what is important about history. It's not perfect. But it's the only roadmap we have. The past is prologue. Great presidents. That's subjective. No, it's not. I'll tell you who the great presidents were. I'll tell you the three best. Okay, let's just do that. Who are they? Order, order, best, best, always, forevermore, George Washington. Number two, Abraham Lincoln. Number three, FDR. You don't know who FDR? Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Now, there are others, but those are the three best, okay? You know what they knew? They knew history. It's not perfect, but it's the only map we've got. The only roadmap. 
I'm going to give you another one. See, I always have these plans. Best laid plans. Remember, starting the Civil War, I was going to say I was going to read, beginning, I was going to tell you, I was going to read one of the presentations from the Boston Daily Evening Transcript that was in my book. How long has it been since I've done that? And the reason is they got awfully long. I don't like to read out loud. But here's another quote. I was going to say, I want to begin, I want to tell you a quote every now and then. I said, every now and then, I'm going to give you one, okay? Listen to this one. Theodore Roosevelt. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. I'm going to repeat that. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Now, I'm going to ask myself a question that I was never asked in 43 years of teaching. Standing in front of students, no student in 43 years ever asked me what I'm going to ask myself now, and I'm going to let you hear it, okay? You ready? Mr. Stroud, see, that's me. How did the land of the free become the land of the enslaved. A Pulitzer Prize historian said recently in an auto book that I listened to, the largest slave-holding nation in the history of the world was the United States. Now here's something you're going to have to put up with me. How many times have we heard, I, just wrap your head around that. You can't wrap your head around anything. Where do they come up with this stuff? Wrap your head around it? Can't be done. What, what are they talking about? Just say, think about that. Here's enough. Let that sink in. Sink in? If you're in quicksand, you better do everything you can to get out of it. Mud? Same thing. Think about that a moment. How did the land of the free become the land of the enslaved, perhaps, we'll throw that out, the largest slaveholding nation in the history of the world. I want to tell you something. I did a little research on this. I came about what I'm going to tell you accidentally when I was, okay, I'm going to tell you how I did it. I'm not, I'm going to just tell you Why do I do this? Why do I do this? Why? And the, I'm a, you ever heard of John Smith and Pocahontas? When I was teaching my eighth grade scholars, oh, they loved when I talked about John Smith and Pocahontas. Did he really get saved by Pocahontas, Mr. Stroud? John Smith was in his 30s, 32, 33. Pocahontas, they forgot to write her birthday down. We figure she's about 12. Oh, I said, no, no. And oh, I'd go into John Smith and all that a fabrication. A fabrication's a lie. But podcasters, now we're going to get Ashton's Amendment in there. 
I got to reading three books about John Smith and Pocahontas. One written by John Smith. He was there. And two others, books just on Jamestown, which originally was called Jamestown, King James. But this is what I'm going to tell you now. When I ever, ever, ever get to Jamestown, I'm going to talk more about this. How in the world has John Smith and Pocahontas got anything to do with Civil War, Mr. Stroud? I'm asking myself again because chuckle, 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 chuckle. No one doubted John Smith's story until the Civil War. When the Union said, see, that John Smith was lying about that because he's a Southerner. All them Southerners are liars. That was Virginia. That's a lying Virginia. And that's where the, the part about him lying about that came in with the Civil War. Now, what's Jamestown got to do with the land of the free becoming the land of the slave? This. 1619, the House of Burgesses was established in Virginia, the first representative government in what becomes the United States. And then about 20 Africans that have been kidnapped are sold in Jamestown. All right, hang on. Right now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm going to give you the correct answer to that question, and if you give the correct answer to that question, they are going to tell you it is wrong. I don't care if it's on Jeopardy. But you know something, podcasters? It's right. It will be correct. It has to do with how did the land of the free become the land of the enslaved. Now, before I tell you that, I'm going to tell you where I'm coming from. Where's that? Where am I coming from? I'm not coming from anywhere. I'm sitting here at a desk talking to a stupid microphone. This is what happens when you talk to a microphone, see? It better not talk back. It talks back. That's going to be the end of podcast. This is where I first heard what I'm going to tell you. And what I'm going to tell you, I have not heard or read anywhere. You understand? It comes from me. Me, 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 me. That's not a me, me. That's me. I'm giving credit where credit is due. I got out of the Marine Corps. I know you haven't heard that before. I went to Stephen F. Austin State, you know, well, it was State College then. It became a university while I was down there. Candace, you know that. Candace, by the way, is working at the library there. Let's have a round of applause for Candace Cloud, one of the great students that I had, and she got a shout-out. She's the only podcaster that I know that took Texas history, and now she is working as a librarian at the college that was named for the father of Texas. And there was a legendary teacher there. I took him more than I took any other history teacher, both as an undergrad and in graduate school. Now they have, I believe it's called a lecture series in his name. They call it the Archie McDonald Lecture Series. 
That not might not be the correct thing, but that's what it is. But whenever we talk about him, we that knew him, we put his middle initial in there, Archie P. McDonald. Podcasters, he'd walk into class, had a Stetson on, a white shirt and a bow tie, and not smoking on a cigar, but chomping on one that had not been lit for quite some time. And one day he stood up there in front of our class and he said, I'm so glad Lyndon Banks Johnson is president. He's the only president I've ever heard that didn't have an accent. What were his credentials? He majored in history, graduated from LSU, got his Ph.D. at Rice. The man knew what he was talking about. And this is the only time I've ever heard and never read what I'm going to tell you about how the land of the free became the land of the enslaved. It has to do with indentured servants. Now this is what Archie P. McDonald told us. I've never read this anywhere. I tell you what, you go to Professor Google, know it all Google, and you type in, you Google, indentured servant, and see what they tell you. Because you know what they're going to tell you? Not what I'm going to tell you. Okay, Ashton Amendment, Ashton Amendment, Valerie's line, Valerie's line. I'm going to remind you what an indentured servant was and where we got the term indentured. England. They have more gold in America than we have copper over here. Wouldn't you like to go to America and get rich, 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 rich? Yeah, but I ain't got any money to get over there. Tell you what I'm going to do, and in my mind, this sounds so much better when you're in a bar. Now, don't you go drinking, you understand? I'm not telling you to go drinking. I'm just telling you. Some things just seem better in a drinking establishment. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. I mean, what could sound better than this? No, no, you don't have to worry about paying to get yourself over there. What we're going to do is this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on that boat over there. And we're going to sell you when you get over there. But not as a slave, as an indenture. You're going to have to work five years. At the end of five years, you're going to get 50 acres of land. You will be a landowner. Well, that sounds pretty good. Now, this way we're going to do it. Now, you can't write a word. So I'm going to write this little contract out. And then I'm going to put my pen down or you make a mark or something on there. And then I'm going to tear it in half. Say, I'm going to tear it in half, podcasters. That was the indention. And you're going to keep one of these. And the other is going to go to the captain of the ship. And when you get over there, he's going to auction you off. And the wind's up buying you, going once, going twice, and by golly, there you go. I'm going to give him, the captain of the ship's going to give that owner one piece of that, that pot. And after your five years to prove that you're a free person, he'll give you that other one. And whenever somebody questions you, you put it together like that, and they see that that has to come, and that will prove you're free, you got 50 acres. Now here it is, podcaster, you ready? Where's that 50 acres going to be? 
Jamestown, there are Indians there, and those Indians will kill you. You know where those 58 is going to be? Right next to the land you've been working. Now, the cash crop that saved Jamestown was tobacco. Don't you start smoking, you understand? That did it. King James hated tobacco, hated smoking. Because of that stinking weed. He was going to outlaw it, but he didn't do it because that was the only way Jamestown was going to survive as a colony. And so there you are. You've been working on this tobacco farm, tobacco farm for five years. Now you've got your own land. You want to make some money. What you going to grow? Tobacco? Now what's happened to the price of tobacco? Called supply and demand. So guess what? Guess what? Why do I do that? Why, why was it? Guess what? Are you guessing? Are you actually guessing out there? What you wanted to do was delay as long as possible that future competition. So the five years of indentured now became seven. Now became ten. The first Africans that were sold in America were not sold as slaves. They were sold as indentured servants. Now, were indentured servants treated like slaves? Yes. I said like slaves. They were not slaves. What's the difference between being indentured and being a slave? I can tell you exactly. It's one word. One word. Freedom. At the end of that indenture, there is freedom. Well, to cut down on the competition, the years of indentured kept increasing until they got so many years, no Englishman wanted to do it. But the Africans, because they were people of color, you added the years. And if they ran away, you could find them a lot easier. And then all of a sudden, you were indentured for life. And podcasters, that came from that great professor, Archie P. McDonald. I've never read that anywhere else, ever. And at one time, every colony, the 13 colonies, every one was a slave-holding colony, every one of them. So, as all of this is going on, slavery is in every one of the colonies. 1648, a Virginia court sentenced a rebellion servant, a rebelling servant, his name was John Punch, to a lifetime of slavery, and now we start getting laws. Now, podcasters, I would love to give you a history of slavery. I just can't not do that. I cannot do that. Looking at the clock on the wall, I've already been talking for about 35 minutes. See, that's what happens with history. This is just barely what I wanted to talk about. You know, I hear this all the time. Nah, not in the cafes. They don't do that. But you're watching a talk show on television. And they say, you know, this slavery thing, we got to have a conversation about that. Really? How many times you had a conversation about it? 
I never did. A conversation about it? You know what I think about a conversation about slavery? It's not going to change anybody's mind. Let me do this. Why am I asking permission? It's my class. Whose class is this? It's just Mr. Stroud's history class. If I want to do it, I'm going to do it. And I want to do it, so I'm going to do it, okay? You've not been a slave. I've not been a slave. Marine Corps, close to it, but there was this freedom at the end. So how in the world, here we go, you can get your head wrapped around being a slave. I've told you before, and I'm going to tell you again, we cannot imagine life a hundred years ago. This is 2020, the year of hindsight, okay? You think you can imagine life in 1920? Well, you come a little bit closer to that, try 1820. Civil War. Can't do it. You think you can? You cannot do it. And they could not imagine the life that you and I have right now. They just couldn't do it. There have been several TV shows about time machines. One of them was called Timeless. I only watched about three of them. I never really figured out what they're throwing them back there for. But. And this is not exactly. this. Okay, this. I'm going to paraphrase. All right, I'm going to do it this way, okay? This is not exactly what he said, but it's what I'm going to have him say because it makes the point. On Timeless, there's like three of them going back. There's a guy, there's a girl, two of them are white, and then there's a black. And the guys are throwing them around back there. He asked each one of them, what's your favorite period of the past? Well, the two white people came up with something. The one I remember was what the black said. I'm not going to say, do you know what he said? I'm not going to ask you that. You don't know unless you saw the same thing. And like I can say, I'm not telling you exactly what he said. I'm putting words in his mouth, okay? If you don't like it, well, it's just too bad. Because what I'm going to tell you is what he said. He just said it in a different way. Which period of the past do you like the best of U.S. history? And this is what he said. There's not one. You think of that. There's not one. From slavery to Reconstruction. Oh, I'm going to do Reconstruction, podcasters. Jim Crow. Most of you don't know what Jim Crow was. It was more than just segregation. There's not one. So, these blacks influenced American history more than what I ever knew. See, I'm more than what I ever knew. I'm going to just do a couple of things because, again, I want to get you up to Lincoln's widows and orphans. One of those things was the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson. Okay, Ashton's Amendment, Ashton's Amendment, my comeuppance. I have talked about Jefferson, a slaveholder, and that if you see this great movie about the Declaration of Independence, a musical 
podcasters, raise your hands, raise both hands, if you want to see the founding fathers singing and dancing. Who would? It was a Broadway play in celebration of the centennial. Excuse me, bicentennial. And then the movie. I loved it. And in it, when Jefferson is reading about the harsh attack on the institution of slavery and he's forced to take it out, he looks up and he says, but I'm going back to free all my slaves. He never did. Only freed one, his son. Yes, his son, Sally Hemings. He didn't do it. Now, this is my comeuppance. I just finished a book by Pulitzer Prize historian American Dialogue. And I want to tell you, Jefferson wrestled with this slavery thing. Why didn't he just free him? Oh, there's so many analogies I could give you. He wrestled with it. Two things, real quickly. This I did not know until I read American Dialogue. When he was in the House of Burgesses in Virginia, he wanted to introduce a resolution. Listen to this. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. He wanted to introduce a resolution, a bill that would become law that would allow slave owners, I'm going to say that, would allow slave owners to free a slave that they owned without getting permission from the governor. I'm going to say that one more. He wanted to introduce a law, get a law passed in Virginia that would allow a slaveholder to free one of his slaves without getting permission from the governor. But slavery so ingrained, he had a friend do it. Would you mind doing this for me? Well, I sure don't mind it, Thomas. That friend did it, and Thomas never forgot what he saw. That man was was crushed, figuratively crushed, and it destroyed his political career. So why didn't Mr. Jefferson just do it? Why didn't George Washington just do it? George Washington, oh, my podcasters, don't get me started on how great man George Washington was. Declaration of Independence. How many of you can repeat what I'm going to say? We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created. Men? Men? Podcasters, if any one of those slaves' colonies refused to vote on this, there's no independence. Do you think that a slaveholder looked at a slave as a man? A person? They were property. So when he said all men are created equal, there was not a slaveholder or slave citizen from that Virginia, from any of those southern states that ever would have said, and that included black. No, they knew that wasn't true. When Patrick Henry stood up and said, give me liberty or give me death, he was not talking about liberty from slavery. 
I hear the chains of slavery rattled in the streets. A boss, that slavery, those chains was, was political slavery. See, they separated that. They didn't have to think about it. This is what I'm getting at. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. Now listen to me, podcasters. They are endowed by their creator with life, liberty. What's the next one? Pursuit of happiness. That was not what Thomas Jefferson originally was going to put. There were three great political thinkers. Hawk. Did I say Hawk? Locke. John Locke. Hobbes. And Rousseau. Most of our political thinkers went by John Locke. That's where Jefferson first heard that life, liberty, but it was not pursuit of happiness. You know what it was? No, no. Why am I asking that? No, no, no. I'm going to tell you what it was. Property. Property. Life, liberty, and property. And Jefferson purposely removed property and put pursuit of happiness. Why? Slavery. What was a slave? Property. So he removed property and put pursuit of happiness. And then the Constitution. Oh, podcasters, I need to do a podcast on Constitution. I'm not going to get started on it. I'm just not going to do it. George Washington was the president of the Constitutional Convention. That was the best thing they ever did. And you know what you're going to read about it? Well, he didn't say anything. He just sat up there. They are so wrong, wrong, wrong. He didn't say anything. He didn't have to say anything. You know why? Because he was George Washington. And nothing got in that Constitution that George Washington did not want in there. If he didn't want it in there, it ain't there. You know what's in there that's camouflaged? Slavery. It's in there. You read the Constitution and you count how many times slavery's in there without one time reading the word slave or slavery. It's there, people. Now, why do you think they didn't use those words? Land of the free? Indentured servant. If you're indentured, if you're bound to servitude, no word slavery. And here's one that every black knows. I bet you every one of them, and most of you white people in all colors, three-fifths compromise. Three-fifths of one. Why is it in there? Because it never would have been a constitution without it. That there would have been independence if you had if you had insisted on saying how horrible slavery was. Now, I'm going to tell you this one time just try try to understand what it might be like. This is just one thing. I'm not even talking about selling family members. And that's why Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. I think it was her daughter that got killed and she was so crushed she said this must be the way slave mothers and slave fathers feel when one of their children is sold away. 
when slaves were sold. But listen to this. Now I'm going to do this. One, I'm do this. You're going to work until you die, and two things will never happen. You're never going to get paid, and you're never going to have anyone say thank you. I'll say that again. You're never going to get paid, and no one will ever say thank you for anything that you do. Let's do that. That's it. I don't like. Wrap your head around that. Let that sink in. One time when Thomas Jefferson was governor, he had a run for his life as the British cavalry was coming. And when he came back, a slave came and showed him that he had taken his prize violin and hid it from those British soldiers. You think he said thank you to that slave? No. No. And when slaves got married, they jumped the broomstick. And when they got divorced, they jumped back the other way. Slaves had no last names. The last name of a slave was the name of the person who owned them. That's slavery. And there were runaways. If you didn't do it, and you did do it, you do it again. You go to YouTube when I get through with this podcast, and you look for that song, Wade in the River. That's instructions to any runaway that's nearby. Follow the drinking gown. Biggest mistake of slavery made by people who were not slaves, according to Frederick Douglass, that when they were singing, they were happy. Biggest mistake. There were runaways, and there were rebellions. Now, I'm going to read you some names. Raise your hand if you ever heard of one of these. Okay? Here we go. Denmark Vesey. Gabriel Prosser. Two of the largest slave rebellions in American history. Listen to this. You go to Professor Google. Look them up on Wikipedia. You see what it says about Denmark Vesey and Gabriel Prosser. Got them in the nip of time. The nip of time, not the neck of time. The nip of time. They nipped that rebellion in the bud. Listen to what I'm going to tell you now. I heard this from a professor so many years ago, I do not know his name. I'm not, I don't think it was Dr. McDonald. I don't remember. But you know what? What do we say? Do you know what? You don't know what I'm going to say until I say it. Then you know what? There was no rebellion. It's what fear does. Just caught him in the neck of time. It's what fear does. There was no rebellion. Mr. Stroud, how in the world, what were you talking about? I'm going to give you two books. You want to read them. One of them is New York Burning, 1741, I believe. 
written by a Pulitzer Prize historian who teaches at Harvard. And I'm going to give you another one. Flames and Vengeance, the Presidential Election and the Fires of East Texas, written by none other than David Stroud. Now, you can either get them on Interlibrary Loan, you can buy them on Amazon, or you can go to Jack's in Longview. I've got one over there, and if you want one, they'll give it to you free. You read those two, and you see what fear does. Now, there was one that was a real rebellion, and that was Nat Turner's. That's the bloodiest slave revolt in American history. When I first started teaching at Kilgore College in 1977 B.C., I said B.C., before computers, we had to require two books besides the textbook. One that I required was Fires of Jubilee, Nat Turner's Fierce Rebellion by Stephen B. Oates. I believe his initial was B. The students enjoyed it. Now, because I'm getting close to running out of time, I got to skip over some stuff and I got to tell you something. Okay? On April 12, 1864, at a place in Tennessee called Fort Pillar, there would be a massacre. And that massacre was when John, excuse me, not John, Nathan Bedford Forrest Cavalry attacked and massacred white and black soldiers. Now, it was going to be a little battle. I was, I'm not going to go into this because I want to get to what I want to get to. And I only knew one person in my life. Why do I, in my, so far in my life, I've only known one person that refused to believe it was a massacre. That was my good friend, Bobby Nyman. Because he just thought the world of Nathan Bedford Forrest. They were attacked. They ran, they got in the river, and they got shot to pieces. Now, you can look all this up. You can read all kinds of things. There is a, a book TV gentleman that did a book on this called The River Run Red. You can look at that. There's plenty of information. I'm not going to go into all of that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to just offer one thing. Let me just offer one thing as evidence. Just one little thing. Written by a Confederate soldier that was there. He wrote to his sister. And he said in that letter, Negroes would run up to our men and fall on their knees and with uplifted hands scream for mercy, ordered their feet, then shot down. The white men fared a little better before it turned out to be a great slaughter. Human blood stood in pools and brains had been gathered up in any quantity. I and several others tried to stop, but General Forrest ordered them to continue. We became sick of blood. 
Several hundred were killed. This is where I want to get to. This is what all this is about. One of the officers there was a white officer by the name of Mr. Booth. He was a major. And a lady came to see Mr. Lincoln, Major Booth's wife. And she had a request. And podcasters, I've only read this in one book. She said, Mr. President, I went to identify the body of my husband. I didn't even know they did that. And she said the black soldiers' wives were there. They were now widows and orphans. But see, because their marriages were not recognized as legal, they would get no pension. Could you do something about it? Lincoln called for a senator named Charles Sumner. Now, I'm not going to get off on him. You get flames and vengeance. Or you look at Charles Sumner was beaten almost to death on the floor of the U.S. Senate after giving a speech about slavery by a southerner by the name of Preston Brooks. If you read Flames and Vengeance, I go into quite some detail about that. And they got a law passed where the widows and the orphans of black soldiers would receive a pension, just like those of white soldiers. There was so much more that I wanted to tell y'all. I will mention this. A TV series when I started teaching. The last year I was at West Russia, the first year I was at Kilgore, called Roots by Alex Haley. Everybody that was somebody at that time was in that series, including O.J. Simpson. Now I will say this. You can look into it. Alex Haley was eventually sued for plagiarism, and he settled out of court. Now, what Roots is about was Alex Haley was searching his ancestors and went all the way back to a village in Africa. And there was another book, I believe the title was The African, and same thing. He settled out of court. But it was a tremendous series. And this is what I want to tell you. I saw him interviewed by Barbara Walters on television, and this is something I've never forgotten. His book was a success. He got money for that series. And Barbara Walters said, Mr. Haley, if you'd known then about how successful your book was going to be, how would that have changed your life? And before she asked that, she looked up and he had a $1 bill framed. And she said, is that the first dollar you got on your royalties? He said, no, ma'am. At one time, that's the only dollar I had to my name. And then she said, how would it have changed your life if you'd known how successful your book was going to be? And I want you to remember this. You don't even have to write it down because I've never forgotten it. And this is what Alex Haley said. I would have typed faster. I would have typed faster. One more. Here's another learning. I've only read this in one place. Has to do with John Kennedy 
and Jackie. If you see the movie Jackie, this is in there. After John Kennedy was killed and he was buried and the eternal flame was lit, Jackie wrote a letter to the widow of the officer that was killed that morning, Mrs. Marie Tippett. Now, that letter, I found out, is under copyright. But here they were. Here was Mrs. Booth grieving for her husband, and she thought about the widows and the children of those black soldiers. Who else would have done that? And what did Lincoln do? And Mrs. Kennedy. And she wrote to Mrs. Tippett because she had lost her husband too. Now you go to YouTube and you look up NBC News, you look this up, because I did, and they will read you what she wrote. Now podcasters, that's the end of this one. I wanted you to know because when you hear the second inaugural that Lincoln gave, he will say, to bind up the wounds of the wounded and care for the widows and the orphans. And that was the book that I read what I told you about was in Lincoln's greatest speech. I appreciate you listening. Putting up with my non-accent. I got no accent down here in East Texas. They all talk like I do. But y'all have a great one. And it will not be long until we're going to get on to another podcast. Adios, amigos. Bye-bye.